0: You know, in Pentecost, we claim to be descendants from Acts 2.38. That's what we claim. We, we tell everybody. We're, we're an Acts, Book of Acts type church. And I, I want to talk to us over the next several weeks. And I know what I'm about to do is going to take more than a couple of days, a couple of Wednesday nights. We're going to take our time through it. And uh, we're going we're gonna to dissect the entire Book of Acts. Now, again, I'm taking my time. We're going to go through it. We're going to go through the chapters. We're going to go verse by verse, line by line, and we're just going to talk about what what the book of Acts really represents. In fact, if I could title this series or the the next few weeks, I would title this the book of Acts 2.0. The book of Acts 2.0. I want to be apostolic in the 21st century. I thank God for the first century apostolic church. But 20 centuries later, I want us to be just as apostolic as the book of Acts. Amen. So let's dig into it a little bit. If you want, you can turn to your Bibles in the book of Acts chapter number one. Again, we're just going to go through the first chapter. There's 27 more. I will condense as we go, but I'm also not going to rush through it. So it'll take a little bit. In March, we will have some breakup. It won't be this every week. We'll have some breakup. I've got the first Wednesday night of March. We'll be meeting in the back i again. going to give you a little spoiler alert. We'll be meeting in the back. Uh, Brother Darren Wainwright, an evangelist, will be with us that Wednesday night. He's going to go over some evangelism methods and do an evangelism class because at the end of the month he's coming back to do a revival for us and we want to be prepared, ready, and see God move in a mighty way. So you'll have some breakup through all this, but I want to start it tonight talking about what it means to be a Book of Acts 2.0 church. Amen. Amen. First of all, let me go ahead and tell you what the terms Pentecostal and Apostolic mean. They are not denominations. They are theologies. Okay? Pentecostal or Pentecost refers to the Pentecostal experience of Acts 2 that we love and know so dearly. Okay? When we say, when someone says, I'm Pentecostal, what they're basically proclaiming is that they believe... In speaking in tongues, in the Pentecostal experience. Okay, that's what they mean. When you hear the term apostolic, that means that the individual proclaiming to be apostolic is deriving their doctrine, their theology from the teachings of the apostles. Okay? Everybody with me thus far? Those two terms have to go together. They're interchangeable in our circles. Okay? Okay. Because you cannot separate the Pentecostal experience from the doctrine of the apostles. Okay? And so I want everybody to know Pentecostal is more than a denominational label. Apostolic is more than a cute name to put on a church. These are biblical biblical labels that we proclaim to be here at Calvary Tabernacle. What we're saying at Calvary is that... We believe in the Acts 238 experience, the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, and we proclaim to be apostolic meaning that we teach and preach the same doctrine that the apostles uh, taught and preached throughout uh, Asia and, and um, Asia Minor and the Middle East. We that's what we proclaim to do. Amen. Everybody still on the same page with me? And so, to truly understand what it means to be Pentecostal or to be apostolic, we go to the book of Acts and we begin to delve into the history of the church. The book of Acts is one of the most, is probably the most, but definitely one of the most unique uh, books in your Bible in that it records the history not of a people or a specific kindred, but of a spiritual entity we call the church. In the book of Acts, you see everything you need to know about what the church is supposed to look like. Okay, We're not talking about types and shadows tonight. We're talking about the true church of the living God. This is what the church is supposed to be. This is what a body of believers is supposed to look like. This book is written by a man by the name of Luke. You probably recognize the name because he also wrote another book in your Bible. But you can't guess which one. He wrote two books, the Gospel of Luke Luke and the book of Acts, and he wrote them to a friend or a colleague named Theophilus. We know this because in the very first verse of the first chapter of the book of Acts, we find him saying this, "...the former treatise have I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach." Luke writes to Theophilus to explain, as he's moved on by the Holy Ghost, to explain the teachings and the miracles of Jesus, and then carries that over the work of Christ over into the history of the church. Okay, and I want to I want to I want to read you a few things here and, and show you some things. He starts out by saying, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, being seen of them by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. If the Theophilus were sitting there reading the book of Luke and then the book of Acts, he would notice that there were some overlap there at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. We find that the author picks up his pen and reminds his reader that, hey, Jesus went to the cross and he, and he rose again three days and did all kinds of miracles and all kinds of signs and wonders, but that wasn't the only purpose of Jesus Christ. And so he begins to remind the reader by saying, hey... Now, let me tell you. I've told you about Jesus. Let me tell you about his disciples and what happened after Calvary. And so he begins to talk and remind him that, remind Theophilus that that Jesus shows up in the disciples' world after being dead and hung on the cross, died and buried. Three days later, he shows up in the, the disciples' world and he begins to reiterate some things to them, remind them about some things. And for the next 40 days, he would show with infallible proof that he was alive and that he was about to work. Now, we're not talking about just a suggestion or they think they saw Jesus or they they thought, well, maybe I just dreamed it all up after a night of a lot of pizza. No, no, no. He showed them, according to Luke, with infallible proof, meaning they knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And it came to the point, according to Luke, that being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Jesus, in his final words, his final moments with the disciples, reminds them, you need to go to Jerusalem because there is a special gift Waiting for you. There is a revelation that's going to come to you. And so go to Jerusalem. And I want you to be prepared to receive the promise that I'm giving to you. Luke had already talked about this promise. In fact, he's reminding the disciples or the Theophilus about what the disciples had heard Jesus teach in Luke 24. That they were to tarry at Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. They knew they were supposed to go to Jerusalem. And they were to wait for God to show up in a mighty way. Now you got to un- remember, these guys have drank the Kool-Aid. Okay? They've taken the bait. They are 110% convinced that this guy named Jesus is more than a carpenter. Okay? Now, they had already started getting this revelation. They had already come to the conclusion that this guy was more than just another good teacher. Peter had already said in Mark, or Matthew 16 that he knew who Jesus was, that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, again, a uh, little teaching point here, that Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, that's not a name. Christ is a title. Okay? It literally, in the Greek, literally translates the anointed body of God. When an Orthodox Jew named Peter looked at Jesus and said, I believe you are the Christ, what he was declaring was more than just a fancy name to put on a carpenter or a cool rabbi. He was telling the man standing before him, I'm convinced that you are the physical representation of an invisible God. He said, I know who you are. I've come to the revelation that you are bigger than just being a teacher or a messenger from God. But you are God incarnate. What, we, what, what our forefathers saw in the form of the Ark of the Covenant or in the tabernacle, we now see in Jesus. That's what Peter is saying. He's declaring to all that are around him that day, I know this guy is more than a good rabbi. He is the God of the Old Testament. So they've bought into the vision. These guys are convinced he's the one. There's a little problem with that. They were also convinced that they saw him die. They were there the day that they drug him from the garden. They were there when the, the, they, they knew what was happening when, when the, the Roman soldiers began to plait a, a crown of thorns and, and laid his back open with, with, with a whip and, and begin to put nails in his wrists and his ankles. And they saw all of that. They recognized that they saw him die. So now they're, they're a little confused because they thought this was the Christ, the Messiah. Now they're watching him bleeding down on a cross and they don't know what to do And then all of a sudden they get word after three days that the grave's empty. The tomb is empty. You have to understand these guys are a mix of emotion right now. They haven't quite grasped what's going on. And yet for the next 40 days this dead Messiah is without a doubt alive in front of them. He's seen of them with infallible proofs. They know it's him. They recognize, they, there's no doubt now. And now Jesus is telling them in his last moments in the book of Acts chapter 1, he's telling them, so here's the catch. I want you guys to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. To which the disciples respond. Verse number 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Again, they're convinced this is the Messiah. This is the one we're waiting on. This is the, and we've already seen him go through this whole gambit of struggle. He, he, was, we, he proved to us in three and a half years that he was the Messiah. Then he was killed. Then he rose again after three days. He's been with us for the last 40 days. Now he's telling us we are going back to Jerusalem to wait for the promise. And, and, and yet in all of this excitement and this euphoria, their, re, their questioning has to do with the physical circumstance. They look at the the prophetic word that has already been given according to the Old Testament, that Israel's going to have a king and it's going to be a great nation and and, and they're they're excited. This is the promise of the Father, no doubt, that He's referring to, that that we're going to see the kingdom restored, that Israel is going to be a nation, a sovereign nation once again. We're not going to be ruled by the Greeks, we're not going to be ruled by the Babylonians, we're not going to be ruled by the Medes and Persians, and we're definitely not going to be ruled by the Romans. This is this is the promise and notice what Jesus says y'all ready for this he said unto them it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his power it's kind of a a random response and when you look at it, a lot of times we skim over it. We're all in a hurry to get to chapter 2. And we miss what he's saying. They're asking about circumstantial situations. We're, we've got all these problems. And if no doubt the promise is coming. And you're going to restore the kingdom. And this is going to be awesome. So how long do we have to wait? To which Jesus responds, it's not your problem. Quit looking at the circumstances because God's got it in His power. To make matters even more confusing, He looks at the apostles and says, But you shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth." This is Jesus' last moment on earth in the physical form of a man. This is it. This is the last moment. And when His disciples asked for a physical, manifest- a physical promise to come about, He declares to them, That's not your problem, but I'm going to give you something to work with. The church began, the, the history book of the church begins... In dire circumstances, in situations that are less than ideal, in circumstances that really Peter, James, and John would like for them to be better, but Jesus tells them, don't you worry about what you can see. It's all taken care of. And I just, I've just come tonight to start talking about the history of the church to help the church, the, help the church understand its own future. And I want to remind us that I understand there are circumstances beyond our control. And we would like to look at them and go, you know what? I'd love to see the promise. I'd love to see God work. I'd love to see the miraculous happen. But God... To do that, you're going to have to bring about this physical kingdom. You're going to have to bring something. You're going to have to fix the economy. You're going to have to do something about COVID. You're going to have to do something about politics. You're going to have to do something about about, about all the evil in the world. You're going to, have to do this, this, and this. And God saying, No, no, you don't understand. That's not your problem. But I am going to give you something you can work with. In the midst of a circumstance beyond your control, in the midst of a situation that you can't handle, God said, I'm going to give you power to overcome the work of the enemy. That's why Mark would record and say, hey, yeah, you're going to believe be baptized. You'll be saved. You believe not. You'll be damned. But I just want you to be reminded about something that signs shall follow them that believe. They're going to be able to take up serpents. They're going to be able to drink any poisonous thing. They're going to be able to lay hands on the sick. They're going to speak. He starts listing out some things that the church is going to have. He didn't say that it was going to be perfect he didn't say there was never going to be a fight but he makes it very clear that the church is going to be empowered i I know i know where i'm at today i know where where what, what what we as a society have faced i understand very clearly what's going on around us and i i'll be honest with you i don't know if covid's ever going away but we got to stop worrying about covid and start worrying about jesus christ Y'all ain't hearing me. I've got to be careful tonight. It's midweek and you're not supposed to preach. But I, I just want to be real with you. I really think what, what God's trying to get us to understand from the very first chapter of the book of Acts is, Hey, hey, you don't worry about what time it is. You just know you've got enough power to get through it. Yes. Amen? Amen. And then, as Jesus gives this impo- just powerful farewell speech... The Bible says that when He had spoken these things while they beheld, He was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. What an incredible moment mixed with all kinds of emotion. They've been told you're going to be empowered. They've been told they're going to get a promise. And Jesus signs off and ascends into heaven. Beyond the miraculous moment, there's also the fear of, oh no, He's leaving us. And the sorrow that says, oh no, He's leaving us. They're concerned, they're worried. What's going to happen? And the response, according to Luke, is this. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as He went up, as they watched Him, as they focused on Him, catching the last glimpse of the Messiah, the Bible says two men stood by them in white apparel, Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now I don't know if you caught this, and you Bible scholars may already know this, I caught it today studying, because I'm slow. And I've read this a lot, and I've heard this a lot, but I've never thought about this. Do you realize that the book of Acts both begins and ends in the presence of angels? Jesus ascends and two angels stood by the apostles and said, I'm right here beside you. I'm not with him, I'm with you. And at the end of the book of Acts chapter 27 to be exact, Paul said, don't worry, the ship's not going down. The angel of the Lord stood by me this night. I need somebody to understand tonight that the church is not under attack in a defeatist mental with a defeatist mentality. The truth of the matter is there are ange- angelic hosts around the church. Circumstances may not be ideal. Situations beyond our control are raging around us. But there is an there is just like there's an adversary, there are assistants, heavenly assistants, ready to minister. To the church. Folks, you got to hear me today. The history of the church is incredible. But I'm looking at the history of the church going, Hey, if that's the first century church, then God can show up in the 21st century church and can do the impossible. Circumstances aren't that big of a deal. We don't have to worry about that because Jesus is going to take care of it all. And do you realize what happened? They didn't say... Go into Jerusalem. Why do you look steadfastly into heaven? You got a job to do. That's not what they said. They said, Why stand you here looking into heaven? Why don't you go into Jerusalem? The same Jesus that you're watching leave is coming back. Folks, we start the book of Acts, and again, we breeze through the first chapter because we want to get to the exciting stuff, the miracles, the signs and the wonders, the Acts 2, the Acts 3, the Acts 10, the Acts 19. We want to get to all that. We want to see Paul and Silas breaking out of jail in Acts 16. We want to see all the cool stuff happening. But I think we need to get a foundation right quick. The disciples leave the presence, the physical presence of Jesus. They leave the presence of Jesus going, we're empowered, amen, we're not to worry about circumstances, we're to be witnesses because Jesus is coming back. The motto of the church is simply, we're witnesses, we've been empowered, we're not worried about circumstances because Jesus is coming back. We're witnesses, we're empowered, we're not worried about circumstances because Jesus is coming back. We're witnesses, we're empowered we're we're not worried because Jesus is coming back. Right. Go through the book of we're going to go through the book of Acts, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you: if you go through it, you'll find very quickly that's the response. We're witnesses. We've been empowered. We're not worried because Jesus is coming back. Put Paul and Silas in the prison. You know what? They know we're witnesses. We're empowered. We're not worried. Jesus is coming back. G, uh, Peter, James, and John, they're beaten. The disciples are, are, are told not to say any, preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4. Guess what? They go find themselves in another church service. They said, We're witnesses. We're empowered. We're not worried. Jesus is coming back. I wish somebody would get one. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be good on a midweek Bible study. Folks, we got to get that in the 21st century. We're witnesses. We've been empowered. We're not worried. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> It'll turn your prayer life upside down. It'll turn your church service upside down. When we remember, hey, I know the circumstances are out there. I know it's scary. I know there are things beyond my control. But I've got to remind myself I'm a witness of the cross. I've been empowered by a spirit. I'm not worried about the circumstance because my Jesus is coming back. We're just in chapter 1, folks. We had not got to the good stuff yet. But the, the foundation is being prepared that we are witnesses of His glory. We've been empowered by His Spirit. We're not worried about the circumstance because we know He's coming again. Amen. Amen. So, what do they do? The Bible says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath-stage journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where had both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas Judas, the brother of James. I got to be careful. I want to sing that verse every time because I remember being a junior Bible quizzer and learning it that way. These all continued with one accord. Everybody say one accord. With one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with His brethren. So the church, knowing they were going to be empowered, recognizing that they were witnesses of His glory, excited, not worried about the circumstances and excited about the return of Jesus, went into a prayer meeting together. They went into a prayer meeting together together. Folks, the first century church, apostolic Pentecostal church, was built not by bylaws and organization, but by prayer. Amen. 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 They went into prayer and they went in unified. It does not say that they were all of the same mind. They were with one accord. Don't miss that. They were with one accord. That means they came in with the same exact Purpose. They had they didn't always agree. They came from different backgrounds. They had different levels of education. They worked different jobs. They were all different with different talents, different likes and dislikes, but they had one distinct purpose. They were going to wait for the promise. They went in to pray and to wait for the promise. The first and we'll talk more about it in Acts chapter two, but I want to hit this very quickly. The reality is Revival in the 21st century will not just happen on a whim. It will be first and foremost because the church becomes unified and goes into an apostolic prayer meeting. Prayer is still the, only, the, the number one way for us to see breakthrough miracle signs and wonders and for us to see people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We must give ourselves to prayer. But right on the heels of prayer comes unity in the Spirit. We must be unified in the 21st century. We're not always going to think alike. We're all, not all going to have the same. I, I think we're all going to do it the exact same way. If we did, that would be boring. Right. Right. Amen. But we're all going to have the same purpose. We're going to see Jesus move. We're going to be witnesses. We're going to see His hand work. We're going to see God do a great work. We're, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know God's got it. We're coming together with one accord. They prayed, they were in unity. Now this next part, y'all don't go to sleep. But this is just as important as everything else I've just said. Bible says that in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue Al-Kadam, is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. They appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. They prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two... Thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship. From which Judas by transgression fell that he may go to his own place. They gave forth their lots. The lot fell upon Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, most of y'all fell asleep. Because the reality is we read those last few verses and think, Oh, this is just, we just got to get through this so we can get to Acts chapter 2 of the Holy Ghost poured out. That's okay. We all do it. It's just we got to get it done, right? I want you to catch what's happening. I want you to catch very closely what's taking place in that upper room. They understand their witnesses. They're waiting to be empowered. They're not worried about the circumstances. And they're awaiting the return. They know Jesus is coming back. They've come together to pray with one unified purpose. But there's something that needs to be done. They had to prepare. They had to prepare. You see, there was a vacancy on the ministry team. Joseph, because of sin, had caused problems. Or or Judas, because of sin, had caused problems. He had transgressed. He had betrayed the Lord. And now, there's a problem. They need to fill the spot. They need to fill the spot. It's not not, uh, spectacular. It's not an incredible moment. Nobody's jumping up and down shouting. But Peter stands up and says, Boys, we gotta, we got to organize. we got to prepare. Because we can't fulfill our purpose if we're not prepared. Now, I know that's not spiritual. At least we don't think it is. Well, you know, I, I, we we, we got to do... We, we can't talk about organization because, because, you know, only God can move. Let me tell you something. Before there was a move of the Spirit... In the New Testament, there was an Old Testament. And before there was ever a a, a cross, there was a tabernacle in the wilderness. And if you study the Word of God out, you'll find that God never moves in the Holy of Holies until the Holy of Holies are built. Until the vessel is prepared, the Spirit's not poured out. If we're to be apostolic, in the 21st century. We got to prepare. Is everybody hearing me so far? We've got to build. We've got to prepare. We got to get ready. Let me say it like this. And no I'm not about to say let's knock the walls out. And start an expansion program. And build a, a church that seats 500. That's stupid. That's, that's not even right. But you know What? We got to prepare for revival. That means we need people in Sunday school classes ready to teach kids. Amen? We need folks ready to teach Bible studies. We need folks preparing uh, and cleaning the church, getting the yard right. We got to prepare for revival. I know that's not spiritual, but that's what they did. They said, you know what? We got a problem. We need to prepare. We've got some things that are going to happen. We need to prepare. We need to get our our team together and get ready for the promise of the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, Acts chapter 1 is more than an introduction to the supernatural. It It is to tell us the preparatory steps we need to take in the 21st century if we are to be apostolic the very foundation, the very purpose of the church's existence is outlined in the understanding that Jesus is coming back. We need to be witnesses and we are going to be empowered and we're not going to worry about the circumstance. How are we going to do that? We're going to get with one purpose in prayer and we're going to organize and God is going to show up. God's going to work. We're going to have some that plant and we're going to have some that water. But it was Paul that said that God gives the increase. We're going to get ready. We're going to have some that build uh, and some that prepare. We're going to have some that 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 work uh, on this section of the wall in Nehemiah's day and we're going to have others work on this section of the wall, but we're going to see the wall completed. The reality is, we if we're going to be the first or the 21st century church, the Book of Acts church 2.0, we've got to do exactly what the church did. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to be apostolic in the 21st century. I want to see God work in this day. Amen. Would you stand with me all over the building? Amen. I want to be apostolic to the core. But we must remember, if you don't catch anything else I said tonight, please take this home with you. We must remember. We're going to be empowered. We've been empowered. We've got to remember that We're witnesses. We've got to recognize that I can't handle these circumstances. I'm not going to worry though. Because Jesus is coming back. Sunday school teachers, you need to go in your Sunday school classes going, you know what? Jesus is coming back. Saints of God, you need to go back home and remind yourself Jesus is coming back. You need to go back in your homes with your kiddos and you need to remind yourself, hey, wait a minute, I'm doing this not because I'm I'm just filling time, but Jesus is coming back. And I know it's crazy and I know there's circumstances beyond my control, but I'm convinced now more than ever that Jesus is coming back. So I'm going to keep on holding on. I'm going to still be apostolic in the 21st century because he's coming back for a church. Do you believe that tonight? I wonder if we could just lift our hands and love the Lord this evening. Lord, thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for your word this evening. I pray, God, that your hand would begin to move on this congregation. Help us to be apostolic in the 21st century. God, help us to see the mighty hand of the Lord move, Lord, in our world and move in East Texas. We want to see you do great things, greater things than we've ever seen. Uh, Help us, God, to be focused on your goodness and your power, filled with your Spirit. Lord, we want to see an Acts 2 outpouring. We want to see miracles like Acts 3. But God, let us get an Acts 1 foundation. Uh, Help us to be the book of Acts Church 2.0. Help us to be apostolic in the 21st century. Thank you for what you are doing and Lord we give you praise today you are worthy there's nobody like you there's none that can compare you are the king of kings and the lord of lords I love you Jesus thank you for your goodness and your mercy today we give you praise tonight forever and ever and ever in the name of Jesus we pray in the name of Jesus we pray hallelujah and let the church say amen